welcome. Uh, I can't do it like Miss Ann. I think y'all could tell that. Uh, I'm I'm running this this show solo today. Hashtag my investing story. Um, yeah. So a, a, as usual, it's usually me and my mom. Um, you know, she kicks off the show with who we are, who we are not. So just a little spill of who we are, who I am. I am currently a um, Better Investing member, volunteer, and a national board member, um, which I'm actually very proud to say. Um, I've been a Better Investing member for 20 years now, and um, I'm actually going through a, 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 a brand new first-time home buyer purchase. And um, the culmination of my entire experience with Better Investing is really coming to light uh, because of the simple and easy way it's allowed me as a child to start building wealth and building a portfolio way before I needed it. So anyway, that's a plug about Better Investing. Um, look us up, betterinvesting.org. Um, check us out, our 90-day free trial membership. Um, and if you're interested in visiting an investment club, that um, that's open to the public. If you wanna you know, see and hear uh, what an investment club does, the better investing way, you can visit us this Saturday, which is um, September 18th at our South Florida chapter model investment club meeting. So with that being said, it is now time to introduce our esteemed guest, Mr. Travis White. How you doing Travis, man? Good evening, good evening. I'm doing great. Thanks for having good. me. Good. So I'm, I'm excited to talk to Travis uh, because uh, I don't know Travis yet. We're, we're going to all get to know him together. But what I do know is that he's a very busy man. So uh, Travis, tell us a little bit about why you're so busy. You're working a job. You're happily married. You got like, what, two sets of twins or something like that? Yeah, yeah, I do. I have two sets of twins uh five and two and uh i gotta give a shout out to tiffany she's down there handling them right now they're eating dinner that's why it's uh, so quiet up here um normally i'll be down there cooking dinner serving dinner you know we call it the uh we call it the uh the home stretch that's the time for everyone that has uh kids you know the time from when you pick them up from school and you got to go through the whole rotation through dinner to bedtime that's like the that's a that's a sprint, but home stretches. Right? You're exalted. The home stretch is, is like a marathon. So, so shout out to all the parents out there that understand that that though that uh, fourth that four hour span, <laughs> three four hour span is tough. But um, and I'm a, I'm also a, a, an engineer. I work I've been working in the utility space uh, for about uh, 15 years now, and um, and I'm part of the better investment anal uh, analysis. Better Investing Analysis Group. Uh, you had Brandon Rooks on your show uh, earlier. Um, and we do that every two weeks. I think he kind of got into it a little bit on, on his episode. Um, and yeah, and those two weeks fly by. You know, you're like, oh, we gotta, we, gotta, we gotta meet up with the group. I gotta get my game, get my game face on. We gotta do some, uh, do some research, do some homework, check up on my stocks, you know, so. Excellent. What Thanks for that that background. So let's get in. Let's get into getting to know more about you, and and then even um, 
how you ended up with uh, better investment analysis. And just for anybody's listening, that's a, a different type of group than, than the nonprofit organization, Better Investing. Um, but yeah, tell us uh, now, are you originally from, were you born in Philadelphia, born in DC? Which one came first? Yeah, I was born in DC. So okay. I was born in DC and Brandon and I, we grew up together and we went to high school together. So both of our parents uh, moved to the same neighborhood um, back in the day. And then ever since- Which high, which high school you went we to? We went to Duval you? High School. Okay. Duval High School okay. yeah, in Prince George's County, or okay. Good Luck Road. And uh, yeah, we both live in, uh, we grew up in Glendale and uh, our parents still live in the same house. They're still there, you know. Um, you know, we're spread out now. I'm up here. He's down in Carolina. But yeah, so um, how that group got started, I got to give, that was like the brain truck, brain, uh, that was the idea of Brandon and Warren, really, because I called, I had spoke with, uh, Brandon had extended an invitation a while back, like I think back in 08. And he was like, yeah, I got this, uh, I got this guy that I really admire at work and he's, he, he, he's really good with investing. He was like, you want to, I invited you to listen to a call with us. And this was a long time ago. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Anybody that's good at it, experienced at it, I'm all ears. I mean, that's how I do my research. You know, I talk to people that have experience. And um, so that was my first introduction to Warren. He walked us through, I think like a Fidelity's website, I believe, and walked us through how mutual funds work. And I didn't know much about them at the time. And it's funny because at the time I was in the middle of my MBA program. So I think I was taking accounting, which is painful. Shout out to all the accountants out there. Shout out to me, <laughs> out to me with the undergrad in accounting. Yeah, and look, even your face. Okay, so, so you know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, so, oh yeah. yeah. And I, so, I'm, I'm waiting for you to get to the end of the, end of this story because a lot I'm of people sorry. have so misconce one day, so misconceptions this, about this. Yeah, so one day I called, when the recent stuff happened with COVID and the economy, I called Brandon. I said, hey, Brandon, it's time to talk to Warren. You know, we got to get one on the call. He's like, all right, cool. And from there, we had an investment club. It was a it was a Zoom invite. It was other people on the call. It was, uh, you know, so that's how it started. Um, I just wanted to talk to him once. And we, we now every month, I mean, every, no, twice a month now. It's a group. So actually, let's because I didn't mean to speed you up. Sorry. I, uh, I think it was a little bit of a translation. Um, no, I wanted you to talk about this MBA and the oh, fact that okay. you were taking an accounting class mm -hmm. um, because uh, many people, if you don't, if, if even accountants don't do what you think they do and they don't know all that you have prescribed them to know. So yeah, just talk to us about being in the MBA program, taking this accounting class, but also being schooled by an experienced investor on what a mutual fund actually is. Well, one of the things that's very apparent to me is that even with the MBA, you don't really learn much about investing. The only thing I can really equate it to is that they give you some tools, but they don't show you how to really build a portfolio or build um, your finances. I think college teaches you in general how to take care of companies, not take care of yourself. Um, so, well, but go you ahead can, and say that again. Okay? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't think the, I don't think the college folk heard you in the back back there. Yeah, college trains you to take care of companies, not necessarily take care of yourself. But you can use those tools 
to to help yourself. You can you you can apply this knowledge, apply what you're learning too. And one of the goals I had was it was two two reasons that why I wanted to go to grad school. I'm an engineer and uh, I don't care how technical a company is, there's a business side to it. And that's where the rubber meets the road. And I look at business and engineering, they're very, they're two different languages. I mean, you know, you, you know, engineers get a bad rap because people, I've always got told, you know, yeah, you're not an engineer just because they have this perception of engineers and how we, you know, socially how we are, but, but it's a different language. Technical, language and finance language and business language are very different so i took it just to kind of understand what was going what was going on outside of the technical space another reason why i took it was because uh and i know you'll get into this later um i didn't know much about investing i didn't know much about the mechanics of money um no one no one around me was really talking about it in great detail there was a culture around it which was very important that I think was positive, but no one was talking about the language was different. It was kind of um, the policy and the concept was there growing up, but not, you didn't have the tools. So give I went to little, my- Give us a little more flavor about that. Cause I, I'm hearing what you're saying, but when you say the culture was there, so the culture you know, was what there. does it mean? The culture was there of living, living, living below your means. Don't just, you know, spend every, uh, all your money. Um, you know, you have to save some of your money. You have to, you have to operate on a budget. Um, now, I knew they were doing it because they would talk about it, but it wasn't like I was sat down and said, okay, this is how you do a budget. Now, who was the day? Is it your parents? Oh, my parents. It- so my parents. Okay. So my parents. And I have, I have my, 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 my father, my mother, and my stepmother. And so none of, I don't think, you know, it was always like, there was a budget. It was aware that, hey, we don't have a ton of money just to go out here and blow. So that's what I mean about the concept was there, but. So, so you knew through osmosis, you, you picked up live below your means, mm-hmm. budget, right. be, be okay with saying, I can't afford this or I can't afford it right now. Right. But the the breakdown of it, it didn't, when did that come for you? For, for what, budgeting? Budgeted and yeah, but I, let's start with budgeting because that's budgeting. what we're talking about. So budgeting is an ugly word to a lot of folks, but I think it is the most important aspect of personal finances because it kind of forces you, uh, you hold yourself accountable. That's what a budget is because there's an eight-year-old inside of us that wants to go to the candy store and buy everything. And you have to control uh, that eight-year-old inside of you, um, especially with people using credit cards, right? So, you know, you wouldn't, you know, so people like to say, oh, you don't give a kid a credit card. Well, I mean, you know, a lot of us are eight-year-olds with credit cards out here today, you know? So, um, and me, me included, you know, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not any different. Uh, but I think a budget, and I didn't, I've recently, I mean, I discovered the power of a budget, like actually doing line by line budget, I mean, within the past few years. So this isn't something I was doing in my 20s. This wasn't something I was doing in my early 30s. I just got a, I just got a sense of the power of this recently. Um, and just so people know, you're 38 right now. Right, so, I'm 38. Yeah, right. you're talking like a 35-year time. Yeah, around right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, 
but I knew, I knew that you, I, I didn't have to keep in mind because you said about osmosis. I wasn't like overdrafting my account. I wasn't, I had something left. I wasn't crazy, you know. Uh, I know of some some folks that were doing that in my generation, but I'm not gonna call them out. <laughs> but I saw that happening. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna save a little bit. Even, even I remember as a kid, um, you know, my parents would give me money for the ice cream truck, right? And sometimes I wouldn't, I was like, you know, I'm gonna save something because the ice cream truck might pull off before I can go back home and get some cash. So I'm gonna just buy a little cheap ice cream sandwich. Now I got some money next time for something else. So even back then, I knew it was, I knew the value of having some money in your pocket as a, as a, as a child. So, yeah, have, and, and you know what? I mean, the way you said it was just so like, I remember that, you know, like <laughs> that concept, even though no, as an eight-year-old, we would never say it like this, but the concept is, let me hold on to a little bit because I may be able to get something better later, like, right. like splurge on the next ice cream or, right. you know, get the $2 ice cream, but I'm yeah. getting 60 cent one now. Right. Yeah. I'm not yeah. going to get that, that a dollar 50 choco taco. I'm just get the 50 cent ice cream sandwich, you know. <laughs> sure. And then I'm going to get like the rock, the rocket ice cream the next time. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah, no, that's that's eight year old budgeted to the T. That's eight year, yeah, that's eight year old yeah. budgeting. But I mean, the concept is is there, you know, and the goals are there, <clears throat> right? So now we're shifting from ice cream ice cream truck strategies to retirement. What <laughs> retirement? What else you want in life? Right. <laughs> I Vacation, want a house. I want a car. Cream. Right. Yeah. Kids Vacation, in college. Retirement. Yeah. Retirement right. early. Right. Like, talk to us about now what those goals are for you. Like, and and when did they start happening? Because, like, when you mentioned, well, I wasn't overdrafting my account. My thought was like, but were you even intentionally saving, or was it just like I was just spending just enough so I don't go over? But mm-hmm. I didn't have any savings goal because I'm looking at friends as like overdrafting, so I'm not that. Right. But I actually may not even have an awareness of having a savings goal or having a retirement goal. Yeah, I, early on, like t- early 20s, I was, my goal was vacation. So that was my ice cream, right? So I was like, I'm gonna save up my money and I'm gonna go on vacation. But I, I, I was, I, I was, I wasn't tuned enough to know when I first had a corporate job that I did the, I did the minimum to get the match. I did that. I did know that. Um, and even back then, I remember watching, um, I think back then I was really on Susie Orman really hard, just listening to her. And um, I knew my dad watched her a lot too. So I would, so he would play it in the car sometimes. I remember going to get a haircut. So I was like, oh yeah, I recognize this lady's voice. And I started listening to her. And, um, and I, I did that. I did do that. So I think I was, and I got that to 22, I think. So I was doing that. Man, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up and you brought up that story because I don't think, and I'm not a parent, you know, we'll get to you being a parent, but I don't think parents really realize the power of exposure. Like 
that little thing that your dad did, he probably was not even thinking about you. He was like, I'm trying to hear her in the car, maximize my time. But you being in the car and listening, it, it planted a seed in you, mm-hmm. you know, to also be comfortable listening to this language. Because I think that's one of the biggest, like, generational gaps is not a wealth money gap it's a wealth knowledge gap absolutely like you're not even like in your household you don't even have cnbc on you ain't never had msnbc on you probably not even watching pbs where Susie orman could come on and raise Mm -hmm. money and like if it's just not even in your universe at all it's gonna take a long time for you to pick up this language right Right. And I got to give dad more credit because I think, ah, what was I doing? I remember because I I remember sitting in the car and he was like, put that down. You need to listen to this or cut that off. I might have been listening to like, I don't know, like this was back when Walkmans was out. I was about to say, you were talking about a CD Walkman or. Yeah, this was like a cassette deck, you know, like. (laughs) So. Yeah, right. I was, I remember him saying that and listen, I was like, man. You know, but it, but it, but it sunk in. It did sink in. Wow. What else? What else? What else were you? Now that you're kind of going down memory lane, what else did you probably pick up from your dad? Pick up from your mom? Um, that you're probably just now realizing, in terms of either a a do or don't. Because some people, you know, their experience. I know I, for me, I experienced like. What happens when you don't have a trust or will, mm-hmm. you know, and that made a big impression on me. So what were some other things that probably, you know, uh, I think the biggest, happen? the biggest don't was just not talking about it more. That's the biggest don't. Um, you know, we, we, and even with talking about it, you still have to emulate the behavior you're, you're, you're trying to talk about. Cause I'm a big fan of more is caught than taught. Right. So, but I think you still have to be intentional and discuss it with children. And I even think you should go as far and I'll do that. I'll definitely do this with my children is show them your budget, show them what it looks like. They need to see you doing it. Um, They need to see where the money goes, how it comes in, where it goes. So they understand how it's valued, how it needs to be cared for. Because I mean, think about it. If you don't talk to a child about money, the only, their only experience with it is spending. Exactly. They own, they know a million ways to spend it. They might know how to save it a little bit and then that's about it. And there's so many more aspects to it. Especially now that we don't do, we don't write checks anymore. Oof. Right, right. I mean, when we think about, and my mom and I actually last night we were talking about, I was again thanking her for exposure, but you know, my mom had me writing out checks to the light company, the mortgage that company, is, that is. the water, 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 paying water bills mm-hmm. and actually doing that check writing experience, you know, and my mom was even saying when she was young, her aunt had her letter writing to her friends, you know, dictating letters by hand. And I think that's just one part of parenthood I don't think we are consciously aware of. Number one, exposure, like 
information experience are we transparent with our kids about what's going on and then two what are you allowing them to participate in because like you said i mean now that we don't use piggy banks anymore now that they're not going to walk by the kitchen table and see you writing out a check all they're actually seeing you is swipe like it's just 20 years of what was taught in the home not by talking but by seeing and observing that's gone and i don't think people realize like the impact of progress and technology yeah. and a lack of uh ex um experience you know or experiences knowledge knowledge opportunity experiences that your children just aren't getting anymore well yeah well money now is not even tangible you know, it's not even in your hand. It's a, it's a screen with some numbers on there with a bank's name showed across the top of the screen. And we go, ooh, I got money. <laughs> so that's, it's not tangible. It's not, it used to be, you know, Washington's and Lincoln's and, and, and Benjamin's, you know, if you got it like that in your pocket, right? And you break a bill and stuff. And and um, one of the other things I used to do, you know, you talk about my dad, he used to, uh, when you when you buy something at the in the grocery store line, he would pay for something, and it was our job to know the change, like quick, because he's like, don't trust people to give you back the right change. So you're supposed to know the, and then he would say, is it right? And then what made that what made that stick was, like my dad was like, I'm trusting you that that's right, and he's like, oh, I don't want to get ripped off. I want to make sure you know. So that I mean, little stuff like that. Um, and that translates into, you know, that translates back into school. That's doing math quickly in your head, you know, but that's like you said, I'm probably slower on that now because like you say, we use cards and stuff, but you know, it's even more important because now it's kind of being forced because they're, you know, slowly but surely they're trying to get you off of cash, right? That's like, a, they're trying to like make that a law slowly but surely cash is not going to be, you know, tolerated anymore by the economy. So I mean, yeah, then what do you do then? You know, I have, I do have piggy banks. I have different piggy banks in my kids' rooms and they have, they have different jars that can put money in. Um, that's their, they put their tooth fairy money in there so far. So, so yeah, you, you don't have to, uh, you can bring back the old school stuff. It's just nothing but a, you know, a bucket. I remember, you remember the big water jugs? And people used to put a bunch of coins in them. You can still do that. That's, 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 you know. Yeah. And I mean, you know, what you're bringing up too is just, also recognizing like the tactile learners, like you said, breaking a bill, like mm -hmm. those are physical tactile experiences that we know of. Right. And if we go all digital, and I don't have anything against digital, we, we're just kind of right. like it's talking efficient. about the knowledge, the knowledge proponent that may be missed. Somebody else doing your numbers for you you're trusting it because you don't know to question it. Like, I mean, um, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago, there was a bank that got caught like siphoning a penny from every single, you know what I mean? Like, but if you don't know how to count, you're not going to catch that. Right. You would only catch that if you were like balancing a checkbook. Gone are those that? days, gone are those days. Who does that? So <laughs> Wait, where, where is the checkbook? Nah, just... right. I know. I got to look for mine sometimes. I'm like, I got to write a check. I got to look for it. 
then I probably wrote two checks because who writes stuff down anymore? You know, like I had to actually write this, I'll sign it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm uh, thank you, thank you for taking us back down memory lane. I'm I'm excited now to to hear about you know, um, you being in 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 better investment analysis group uh-huh. meeting two times a week. How has that been? You know, like, I don't know, when did you finish the MBA? When did you start with Warren? When did y'all start meeting? And what were some of the things that you started to learn? You just realized you you had no idea or like I like to say, uh, a degree prepares you for a job, just like you said. I mean, it does not prepare you to take care of your own finances. So for anybody that knows somebody that graduated in accounting, that graduated in finance, trust and believe that I'm telling you, they don't, they don't, that doesn't mean that they know how to even manage their own money, right? So, so what did you start, what did you start learning in just this meet, this, this group that meets every, every other week, two times a month? Mm-hmm. Um, and from what perspective? Because I don't, again, people don't realize how an MBA is taught. And it's not giving you the power to act on your own behalf. Yeah, you have to have, well, speaking with the MBA program, you have to have, I already had an interest in investing while I was, before I was even in my MBA program. So finance was great. Like, so I kind of enjoyed finance, even though that's one, they say that's one of the toughest classes next to accounting, of course. But uh, finance was great because he was literally giving us, giving, you were learning the tools how to do the calculations, how to calculate, um, you know, the different growth, how to calculate how the debt, all these different formulas. And that gave you, that gave me the, that gave me a lot of tools and know-how. And, um, and again, it gives you some of the the verbiage, you know, Um, but still, even when I was in my MBA program, I was using free websites to look stuff up and watch videos. So like Investopedia was my main go-to for a lot of that stuff, you know. Um, because your professor is not, they're, they're, they're smart, but they're not always the best at teaching, you know, to your learning style. So jumping online and, 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 you know, we have that capability now to just jump online, get another perspective on it. Um, so, so I, I mean, I completed my MBA long before I was a part of this group, but what I get from the group, what I like about it too, is um, your everybody's, you're linked because you have an interest in investing. But what comes out is that everyone has a different professional background outside of investing, right? So um, we have uh, engineers in the group. We have folks that are in the construction side, um, cybersecurity. Someone's in, it's in a medical field. So again, all these different fields are different languages. So we have one guy in our group when pharmaceutical stuff comes up. I'm like, I don't know what this guy talking about. Phase one, phase two of development, but he knows it. And he's and he's looking at the stocks. He's, he like he likes the numbers. I'm gonna go with it. Brandon's in cybersecurity. He's in the group. You know he can break down. You know that that space. And uh, so you know I, I like it for that reason. Folks have a have very different backgrounds, and it comes out that that that's another thing you bring to the table um, when explaining a company that might be close to that space. So. I think that's one of the best things and also sources of information. So I've, I've been put onto a lot of different, different websites, um, different sources of information, some podcasts, things like that. Um, I think that's cool as well. 
to get. But um, also, too, to get an idea of what why people like stocks and people like stocks in different companies for different reasons. Some people pick stocks purely on the 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 uh, the numbers, the financials. on the technicals, yeah. on the financials, right? You, you don't even know what they do, but hey, it came through my screener and <laughs> looking good. And then you start looking into it. Then you have some that like what they're doing as a company, what problem they're solving, what their product is, how superior it is, how much of a game changer it is. So, you, you know, you have those two different sides that people come from with stocks. So I think that's the best thing. Have you been developing now? Uh, you've been in the group, what, a year, two years? I think we started, it's been almost two years, almost two years. Okay. So talk to us a little bit about the, the personal, mental kind of transformation and growth process you, 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 you've gone through personally just by being in the group. Because I want people to understand the beauty of an investment club. And I know right. your investment club isn't, you're getting together and learning together, even though individually you are investing on your own. We have investment clubs that do that. We have other investment clubs that come together, learn together, and pull their money to invest together. So, you know, just for everybody listening, there are uh, uh, many different variations of how you can run an investment club. But tonight we're talking with Travis White and but yeah, and uh, Better Investment Analysis, Analysis. Uh -huh. Group. Um, which from my perspective is an investment club that, that meets, meets regularly to twice, a, twice a month. Um, yeah. Talk to us about like, how did you come in? Oh, this is a, I think a better phrase it. What was investing or who epitomized investing in your mind before you started learning it? And then how did that change since being in the group? who epitomize it like somebody i know personally or just i mean a lot of times we have caricatures in our head okay. like for me it was a stockbroker right. you know a yeah, 25 year old white man that lived uh -huh. in new york and was like on the new york stock exchange floor just shouting out numbers right until right. i joined better investing and then my worldview of who's an investor like totally shifted. So yeah, like what, who did you think it was? Cause I think that's one of the biggest barriers for a lot of us. Like it, whatever we're striving for is not us. Right. Until we start to learn it and then get exposed to, to other people. Yeah. And I think it's designed that way. I think it's designed to be intimidating on the surface. And then you get the verbiage down you understand the language. And then that lifts the veil on, on actually how practical it really is. Um, so in my mind before, before, when I was a novice, yeah, I read Jim Cramer's book. I would say like that guy was probably like the stock investor guy. Like that guy was like the stock investor guy. He's animated. He's on TV and blah, 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 blah. And numbers are running all across the screen and, you know, he's hitting his computer and he's shooting to the next stock. And I'm like, man, this guy's got it together. Right. And then, <laughs> But what people probably don't understand is that's not Jim doing all that. Jim, Jim got probably got a whole staff, like 50 people, you know, sending him information, doing a lot of the grunt work for it. And he <laughs> right. well, that's like, the, yeah, he up there like a superhero. Meanwhile, you know, he got a whole team behind him. But 
but yeah, I will say like that was the character. That was the character of it. And then as I started getting into it, I started realizing how how practical it was. And you don't have to be out here being an expert on twenty different companies. Like that's that's crazy. You don't have to be, and you don't have to be an expert to necessarily invest in the company. You have to be a, a, a expert. And see, that's one of my um, that's one of the things I had to get over was being uh, over analyzer. You know, um, if the company if the company is doing something that you think is of value and they do it well. And then you look at their financials, are they profitable? I mean, that's that's two good reasons to get into it. It's not rocket science. Bruh, you just distilled all of better investing methodology in yeah. one sentence with a comma. Like you just killed it. It, 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 I think that's the myth behind it. It's like, well, why do I, should I do that? Because I get some questions now from my, my, my friends and my cousins and stuff now. And I could just hear like the nervousness in it. But what I'm happy about though, is that the access to investing in stocks now is easy. Now you can do it from your cell phone. So I, I like that because I think getting out there, just getting started, no matter how you get started is important because it takes that fear or it strips that fear away. Okay, I did it. I put some money out there. And no matter you lose, you win, you're you're learning. You're dealing with with the initial, you know, it's kind of like when you're running, you know, you run that first mile. Like, yeah, that first mile sucks. It's tough. But, you know, by mile three or four, if you can make it, it's not, all right, you stroke, you're, you're in your stride, right? So, I mean, I think, I think get, getting, getting out there and you don't need to be an expert to make your first investment. And you're never done learning. So get out of get out of get your mindset out of like, oh, okay, I know enough now to go do it. Like you're always going to learn information, um, different concepts, different methodologies. But I tell folks all the time too, when, when folks ask me about stock, I'm like, if you don't have a lot of time, just use mutual funds. Go pick an old mutual fund. I mean, the ones I like, they're almost older than me. They're like 30, 35 years old. And they're gonna get like 14, 15% annually from each year and it's like all right cool you know what go hold my money you can have my money you've been doing it a long time and do you look up how old uh, how long the the manager of that fund has been working oh okay they, that person's been working in this industry longer than me all right yeah i'm good that's enough let's try it out i could always sell it right so it doesn't have, i mean that right there you, you you'll be well on your way if you just dump your uh, money in the mutual funds and never look at them again or look at them here and there. And if you do that consistently, you'll probably make more money than folks in individual stocks with a whole lot of less stress. Very true. It's a value meal, you know? You just buy a bunch of them. Hey, that, that's what I did for, for uh, many years in the index fund. Cause yeah. you know, the other thing, when you start learning about it, you learn like number one, if you're just getting started and you want to take care, uh, take advantage of dollar cost averaging, a lot of times uh, brokerage firms won't let you dollar cost average stocks. So you have to choose, they won't even let you dollar cost average an ETF. So you're either choosing a index fund or a mutual fund. Um, but getting back to your story though, how have, how has, how have you changed? Like, I mean, I'm interested in hearing about, I'm learning this stuff, it's becoming demystified, 
and now I'm doing this with it. Like, have you gone back and rebalanced your retirement portfolio? Like how, how is this constant like exposure to this group? And I'm, I mean, you all have a, a high dynamic like group where ain't no slackers, right? Y'all not just out here riding a wave. Oh, I'm in a group because I really don't want to do the work myself. Like, no, nah, y'all coming every two weeks with y'all homework done, like with y'all analysis, y'all getting asked questions. Like how has that just within less than two years made you a better investor? Because it, it, it forces it to be a regiment. See, if you're by yourself, the, being part of a group, uh, it kind of forces you, it's a team sport. I'm gonna do my part. And it forces you to, um, it's a regiment. So it's in your ear, right? Um, consistently, when you're on your own, you got to kind of self-train and self-motivate yourself to do it. And then you're going to only do it when you're comfortable. And this is what I was doing. Here and there, I dip in, dip out. It wasn't consistent. But now it is. It's very consistent. And, 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 that, and, that, and that has its pros and cons, too, because if you're looking at, you look at the market, you know, every day or every two weeks, you know, you might pull your hair out. Oh, it's going up, it's going down. You stress about all the little movements. But even then, you're um, you're staying plugged in. It is important, I think, to stay plugged in um, to what the market is doing, especially if you're in individual stocks. Excellent, excellent. Uh, talk to us about how your investment strategy has changed over time. Um, at first, I was following... I was more along the lines of uh, following like rubrics of like what people, you know, your financial um, gurus out there. So, you know, you want to have this much in large cap, this much in small cap, this much in international. And you follow these rules and good to go, right? I've gotten away from that. Um, and keep in mind, I don't think that's a bad strategy. I've more, I'm more along the lines of, I focus on, okay, what is this world gonna be like in, um, in 10 years, in five years? What industries are gonna change? Uh, what's gonna go away? What's gonna become obsolete, right? So for instance, right, landlines, right? Dinosaur, done, right? negative returns on that type of stuff because everyone has cell phones. Um, so I look at what are the problems of tomorrow because that's where the opportunity is going to be, right? Somebody's going to have to figure it out because we're going to be forced to, right? So one of my ones, one of the ones I'm looking into now is any of the, any of the technology that's going to solve the water problem that no one even is talking about right now or very few people are even aware of. But fresh water is a commodity. And if uh, just look at... Um, just look at, you go ask someone that's in agriculture and farming and ask them about water, their water costs today versus their water costs tomorrow. And they'll tell you, oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, part, of the, it's part of the bottom line. We track it, the expense of it. We even, they even use technology now to, so they can, um, so plants can be watered less and have more of a benefit because it's all about retention. Places in the Midwest have, uh, um, uh, what is it called? Uh, rain laws or water laws where you can't 
you can own property, but you don't you don't own the water rights to that property. So all the water that falls in that property, you don't have the right to to hoard it. To capture or keep it? Yeah. Some states have those rules. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so um, and that's just I'm just talking about the U.S., but internationally, it's, it's more it's even more of a problem in other countries. So I think that the, any of the technology that helps solve that problem, whether it's from a, from a uh, from from a you know desalinization, taking seawater and creating uh, fresh water, or recycling sewage, anything around those lines, along those lines, that's going to be the next uh, thing. I think that's one of them. But you know, obviously, five G is big. Um, anything around cloud, that's an obvious one. Uh, another one that's really kind of starting to sh show show up too is um, open banking is another one. Um, so these concepts, these things are coming because what, you know, just think about, just take something, right? And if it's not as efficient as buying something online, it is it, it's, 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 day is coming, right? So if it's not, if it's not as convenient as uh, most people use Amazon, go on, on Amazon and buy stuff. If it's not that smooth and convenient, to have that exchange or it has that type of medium with the customer, then um, then it's probably, it's day is coming. Wow, I, I really like how you put that. Cause I, I had been thinking of a similar thing, but my, my, my mind didn't go to any of those sectors. So I'm glad you, and industry, so I'm glad you brought that to the table. But my mind had been going, going toward energy. Mm -hmm. Like when I, yeah, when I think about like how the Dow was reflected 50 years ago, it was all about industrials. It was all about the railroad. It was all, you know, and then it just, like when I started looking decades by decades of time and the shift, you know, I really like that you brought that point up because yeah, I don't think, I don't think a lot of times we think about the future of what, um, New York Stock Exchange is going to look like, or what the NASDAQ is going to look like, or what, what the Dow as a sort, quote unquote representative uh, for the, the market is going to look like. So uh, we do have a quick clarifying question. Um, my mind went to like mobile to mobile payments, but what is open banking? Oh, you're on mute, Travis. So uh, open banking is, and I, I got put onto this through a podcast, but open banking is, so like if you bank with, you know, pick, pick any bank, well, they have all of your information. They have, they have, you know, it's your data, but they, they're the custodian of it. So open banking allows for, but you, let's say you have your bank account with uh, bank one, right? but you want to get a loan from bank two. But to verify your assets, you need to go to bank one, get your information, and then get it over to bank two. And right now, that's just, that's painful, right? Because you got to go download some information, put it in the I, PDF. I just did, I just did so I get, all You just that, bought a house, right? That, I just I just spent two hours at the credit it's union goofy. today. It's, yeah, it's, like downloading so statement, downloading it. Like, it's like using a fax machine back in the when email first came out, right? It's like, why, what are we doing here? Because it's all digital, right? So open banking is going to be companies that make that transaction very smooth. 
And what's cool about it too, it's not just applied to bank. The concept really isn't, isn't applied to banking, but you're giving um, with cloud technology, you're giving, uh, you can give folks access to your information, but only, only certain types. So let's say I got, I got a file cabinet, right? I want my lawyer to see certain documents. I want my financial advisor or someone to see certain documents. I want my mortgage broker to see certain documents, right? I want my doctor to see anything related to medical, right? But I got it all stored in here so I can just give them permission. And with the power of artificial technology, they can read a document and go, oh, that's medical, that's mortgage. This is, you know, about school uniforms or something like that. It knows how to sort that information automatically. And then you could just give someone permission based on their profession and what the service they provide to you and they give you access to it. But that, but that's applying that concept to just purely banking where my banking information, I own it and I want to easily give access to other service providers, well, financial service providers in that space. Because right now, if you buy a mortgage right now, at the end of the day, it's not too much different than it was 10 years ago. You still gonna have to sign a bunch of paperwork. Somebody gonna have to come over to your house and sign this, or you do a DocuSign. You saw how DocuSign has been so critical. Changed the whole game. Changed the whole game, right? It got real important all of a sudden to do stuff digitally. And and I don't think people are going back. They're like, well, wait a minute. If I could, if I could, you know, refinance my mortgage digitally, I should have just done it this way in the first place. So the companies that are going to be getting into that space, um, I think it's going to be a it's going to be a game changer. Because keep in mind, right? It's not about it's the economy doesn't move. To my opinion, once you get past and this is no offense to us old folks, but once you get past 30, 35, we're not setting trends anymore. The the people setting trends are twenty to to thirty. Because that and what they want, whoever caters to it is gonna win. So they grew up with cell phones in their pocket, buying stuff with an app. How do you think they're gonna wanna buy a house? It better be touchscreen. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I know. <laughs> well, sure. It better be wow. It better be touch screen. Hey man, you know what? It's it sounds crazy, but when we think about like the iPhone is I, only twenty two years old, mm-hmm. it's like oh. And that's the thing: the tools are already there. See, business hasn't yet caught up to. There are businesses that haven't caught up to the technology we have available right now. So you can get on your phone; it has it can do retinal recognition. So that's your signature. That's a unique identifier, your face, right? So all it's all there. You come, you combine that with your fingerprint. You know, you probably do a digital signature. There's ways to do it. And COVID forced a lot of this. You know, COVID. It, you know, it, it, and it shows you how efficient things can really be. Yeah, no doubt. Wow, man. Thank, thanks for thanks for the question, Ann Newman. Thanks for the answer, Travis White. Um, what, what's your vision for investing now? Like, what are your, what's your goals? How has your concept of money changed now that you're like, you know, being exposed to all this stuff and probably even thinking differently? It's really not the money. It's the time. So I want to use the money so I can have access to most, as much time as I want. That's the ultimate goal. 
Right. And because that's what because you want to be with your family more. Yeah. You want to travel more. I want to look at stocks more. You know, I want to find that um, you know, that open banking company that's going to pop up. <laughs> I want to I want to get in early on that. Right. I want to have the time to find it. You know, I want to I want to I want to find a guy that invents that uh, membrane technology to, you know, take the salt out of seawater and make it taste like Fiji. Right. I want to I want to find that early. I mean, you know, and I don't even think that's necessarily necessarily about the money. It's just like, look at that win. I got on that early, you know. Now I could go brag about it with some of my, my friends, you know. Oh, yeah, I call hey. that at a dollar. You just getting on it at a, a hundred. <laughs> Old news, you know. <laughs> but, you know, I'm so glad you brought that up because I feel like that's so much of the culture now, like our culture. Like, it's crazy to me. I, I have flashbacks and I'm like, man i was exposed to it but now i'm being exposed to it in a whole nother way at a whole nother age it's 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 like mind-boggling to me how casual conversation or just everybody's talking about it now like do you think people even know what they're talking about do you think that they know what to look for i mean because we're also in the age of too much information or information uh sales pitches disguise this information like yeah. i mean how how informed from a quality perspective how informed do you think people are now even though it's it's a part of pop culture i think i think it boils down to a, a choice i think you're as informed as you want to be um because you can't say you don't know that's one thing i told some kids that i was um I did a career day at a, a school up here. And the first thing I told them, I was like, one thing you can't, you're not allowed to say is I don't know, because you got a cell phone in your back pocket. And I said, That's, you can't say you're completely lacking a knowledge about something. You can't say it for too long, right? I said, I had to go look it up in these books and they call it encyclopedias. And, you know, when I was your age, I said, That's how we had to do it, you know? So y'all have- 2026 stack Britannica. Yeah, yeah, and it was, and even that wasn't like most recent. It might have been five years old if you were lucky, right? So, um, so I like, uh, I like you have access to the information. I think what people should start with is their goal, and then they have to get an idea of, okay, who align myself with people that have similar goals as me. That's who I should listen to, right? and get really practical about that. And then you use that as your motivation to go seek information. I think that'll kind of clear out like a lot of the noise, but you also have to have some basic common sense too. Like this doesn't happen overnight. It's not, it's no get rich quick schemes out here. Um, the get rich quick scheme is probably the scheme. So, um, but I, I think it's, I think it boils down to a choice and, it, and it's a down, it boils down to discipline too, being diligent. And because um, if some people, I think I run into some folks, they just want to be told what to do instead of going to do the work. And you know, anybody that talks to me on this topic, they know like, I don't, I don't let them get away with that. I go, go look it up, go here, go to this. I show them sources of information. You still got to go in there and do the work. I ain't gonna tell you what to do. And that's how a lot of the mentors I had, that's what they told me. They told me to go look it up. They didn't tell me, and then, and that's the thing that reinforces the engine, right? If you come back to somebody that gave you some advice, you come back with more knowledge than you had before, they're going to feed that. 
they're going to keep uh, pouring into you. Like, because if you're lazy, they're like, I'm not going to waste my time with somebody that's lazy, you know? So I was told, I was told by, actually, I've never, I think Brandon's dad was the first one to tell me that. He told me, he said, uh, he said, I don't care what you do in life, your second job is money. So he told, I heard that, in, I might have heard that in high school. Yikes. And I don't even think it sunk in there right away. But he said that. I, I don't, I'll never forget that. He's like, yep, I don't care what you do. Your second job better be money. And that's just not investing. That's not investing. That's insurance. That's your budgeting. That's, um, you know, your, your, your credit, your lending. Just an awareness. Like, you got to be aware. Like, yeah, it's up know to you. this stuff. Yeah. yeah it's up to you. It's and so it's much not a part of your life. And you're right. And, 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 um, and you can get taken if you don't. You can get taken. And so, and it, that's it's not a new form of slavery for those that don't it's, know. It's not, um, it's not, it's not your, it's your, it's your responsibility because you can't just go out here and expect not to have any knowledge and expect to people to, um, with the expectation that people are not going to test you, you know? So even like the, the, the financial advisor, uh, take, I heard of, you had a wonderful show, I forgot the lady's name, but wealth rank. And Pam Kruger. Yeah, awesome, awesome episode. And and again, why I listen to podcasts because you're gonna learn something. So uh she was talking about financial advising and she she was very being very frank about the industry. But one of the things I always I find interesting is when a lot of I hear a lot of folks don't even know what a fiduciary is. And yeah, if you get someone, you know, it's like attorney client privilege with a lawyer you need to get a fiduciary um if, if you want to take advice from them and then on top of that you don't get your advice from one person about every aspect of money you know you should have a you should have a bona fide tax accountant you should have you should have um someone that knows insurance an insurance broker eventually if you especially if you have special needs when it comes to insurance i mean if you and if you i, I would love to be able to afford one day a bookkeeper so i got somebody else you know, keeping my books and make sure I'm on my budget. You know, somebody, you know, crack a whip on me a little bit on my own money. Hey, put those things in place. So you you have all these different aspects when it comes to money. And I, you're not going to find just one person that's an expert on all of them. And I look at, I look at, I was just telling one of my buddies the other day, I look at, you know, the person that manages a mutual fund. Well, that's your investment advisor. You know? They already charge you a fee. All you gotta do is go take it off the shelf. Man, you're dropping so many gems right now, Travis. And and I just want to add to say, I mean, just in the past 24 hours, I've talked to, I'm gonna say six, um, mortgage brokers, loan officers, mm -hmm. and I was, you know, texting my friend in the process, and she asked me a question. The question was like, oh, why didn't they tell you that? Like, why didn't they tell you they was going to pull your credit only for a prequal and not a pre-approval? Pre mm -hmm. And I was like, you got to remember, not everyone has all the answers. No. That's why I'm going to six, because I'm asking hard live questions to every single one of them. Absolutely. And... And this whole experience has really just reminded me of like, 
how many people work in this industry don't know what you think they know? Mm-hmm. And so it really, it really behooves all of us to not just settle on one, not just settle on one financial advisor. Not, I mean, not just, I mean, it, before you get surgery, they mandate you get a second opinion. Exactly. You know, so yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up, Travis, because yeah, people, people need to hear it or at least be reminded of it or at least be told it because, hey, if they come in, you know, from environments like how we came from where we saw it, but it wasn't ever really explicitly explained, they don't know, you know, and I think in, in this space of trepidation and fear and it, it, it takes all you have just to take the first step. Like, I, I mean, I know someone that really was heartbroken because they liked this financial advisor and then they, that advisor left. And so, you know, you don't even have the energy to go looking for another person because, you know, when it comes to money, it just, it, it takes so much out of us sometimes because there's so much we have to unpack and there's so much unconscious, um, uh, emotion that we don't even know it's being tied to money, but it is. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah. yeah I was going to say too, you, this, this, this is getting back to the knowledge. When you say so much is so much that I think how I hear that, that's just an exhaustion of, Oh, I got to go learn something else or do something else. Because I think whenever you're dealing with a transaction, no matter what it is, insurance, real estate, uh, buying a stock, you, you need to have a certain level of knowledge. So you're able to challenge these people. You need, you, at I a minimum, have, you need that. Man, I mean, because I it's just like going to buy a car, right? It, you go look at other dealerships before you go buy that this one. But what you raised, though, I think especially for our community, we don't have a history of confidence to challenge. Right. Outside of spending. I mean, because again, let, let's take it back to what we was exposed to. Coupon clipping. Right. Bargain shopping car compare but all of that i mean we had all we were the best spenders in the world you mm-hmm. can't get a better deal than the deal we gonna get mm-hmm. or negotiate but when it comes to investing the other side of that interest rate crickets <laughs> you might be going to you might as well be going to church and believing everything that comes out their mouth like crickets yeah yeah yeah, crazy. Wow. That man, man, this, this is good. I, so we have an audience member that asked a question um, to you, Travis. How do you balance the excitement of finding the next 10 bagger versus, versus the long term investor um, using stock that may seem old and boring? You have to um, you, you have to put up a, you have to set up your own policy. I'll call them uh, lane lines, right? So, um, and you have to stick to it. That's you, you, again, it's going back to that eight-year-old inside of you, right? You got to control that person. So even with a portfolio, much like a budget with spending, it's like much like a, you talk about balancing a portfolio. The guardrails. Put up the guardrails, right? I'm not going to put 20% of my money in a hyper growth stock. Nah, that's crazy. It's, it, I can be as excited about it as I want, you know, but you, you put up your guardrails and you stick to your guns. And if you want to buy more of the stock, well, guess what? You got to put more money in your portfolio and then that fraction of it can go to that stock. But that's how I do it. And it's tough. 
it's tough, especially when you start um, reading and you're getting your research and you're kind of like, oh man, this is cool. You know, you got to draw back and you got to stick to that discipline of uh, sticking and standing in your lane. I love it. I love it. One, one last question I have for you. I think it's the last. Um, <laughs> talk to us. And, and this is a, a moment of transparency. So, you know, let me know if, if, if you want to go there or not. But talk to us about what you've been setting up for yourself to reach that financial goal. So I, I'll go first. Right. Okay. Many, okay. many, many people like like you mentioned, um, they get their job and based on what they know, all they do is match, right? Mm -hmm. So I'll go first. Okay. I got exposed to better investing in elementary school. Wow, and that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. and <laughs> kept coming to classes, was sitting in the front of the class, asking instructors questions. Shout out to Ellis Traub, shout out to Phil Keating. I mean, these men are like 80s, 90s, but they were my first teachers 25 years ago, right? Wow. And when, similar to your um, uh, Susie Orman uh, in the car story, you know, the stuff my mom was reading, she was having me read, right? Mm. You can read by three, four, five. You can read any book. It may be slow, but you know how to pronunciate and then you talk to somebody to, to get your reading comprehension down. Mm -hmm. So she had me reading books in the car aloud, right? Before books on CD, uh, Automatic Millionaire. Wow, you read her the book. You were, you were her the book. Hey, man. The original well, radio. Hold on. Hey, yeah. I mean, you know, because awesome. as a parent, like you're trying to combine strengths. You're... Yeah having your child read, you're having them read aloud, which helps with projection. I mean, my mom is like a super mom to shout out. Yeah, my mom is. I, I've heard of being a remote as a child. Hey, come in here and turn up the TV. I've heard of that, but. Fix this antenna. That yeah. is awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, yo, the, be the beauty of doing that though, and I knew it then, but I really realize it now was that as a child, I didn't have the mental and emotional baggage as an adult. So I'm reading this book and I'm taking it serious. I was reading The Automatic Millionaire by David Bach aloud to my mom in the car. And I'm like, Ma, I'm working for you for free. You gotta put me on payroll so that I could max out my Roth IRA. Like I had to create a Roth IRA because her, she had a small small business Smart. and they didn't even offer a 401k. I didn't know that stuff, but I'm reading it. I'm like reading awesome. it like, yo, I gotta, I gotta apply this. And so now people are talking about maxing our 401k. The fire community talk about max. I was like, bro, I was maxing Roth IRAs when they was $3,000 in early 2000s, right? Mm -hmm. So I went from that to like, when I got my first job, it was only like, six years ago first full-time job then because I had already understood um the the cost of money that's the best way I can explain it like you know I was exposed to compound interest very early and so I just always knew if you invest it way before you spend it you're gonna have a lot more right, right. so 
maxing out the the the, the Roth uh, IRA, then about six years ago, start maxing out a Roth 401k, right? I didn't, I wasn't reading blogs. I just knew like, I need to max it out if I can, because I don't know what expense is going to come down further in life. And I don't mm -hmm. have no money to be an adult, right? right? So talk to us about, you know, what you may be doing in your own personal portfolio in order to reach these time goals that you have. Right. Well, uh, top of the list is I want to pay off my house. I want to consistently uh, contribute to my retirement no matter what. Um, and when I say my retirement too, some of that money I'm going to play with like my own, my investing, and then some of it, I'm going to leave it up to the mutual fund managers. Um, and also I want to have real estate holdings as well, uh, income generating properties. So those are, those are the three main things that I want to drive all the goals. I mean, of course, I'm going to have uh, 529 plans for my children. Um, but yeah, because it's not just about save. Like I look at like, I look at it two different ways. I look up, I think setting up income streams to, to fire yourself. Maybe I should have said it that way. I want to fire myself, right? So I want to set up income streams so enough to where I can go, you know what? I ain't really got going here if I don't want to. I still might because I'm greedy, but you know, I don't have to. You know, I want to know what that feels like. And then, you know, and then there's just stepping stones along the way. And um, but that's that's kind of like if I could simplify it, yeah, paid off house, um, paid off rental income or rental properties, and all of that just driving um all the other investment goals and driving and all do, that money to the market. And do you think that's a 20 year goal, a 10 year goal, a 30 year goal? How soon, how soon? Just Yeah, it depends. You know, I'm debate. I'm going back and forth on that now because I'm, I, because I'm starting to, I'm, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm going to start work, stop working. Um, even if I, if I, if I don't have to, I'm going to be doing some type of work. So, what order I put those in, um, or do I do them at the same time? Um, I really, I really think uh, that's kind of what I'm shuffling through right now. I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, but let me tell you, it, it looks real sexy to see no mortgage. <laughs> that looks real nice, <laughs> right? But that might not be prudent to do when you know children in college, um, and you're missing out on the market, the opportunity cost. Um, but also too, I didn't say this because I've already done this goal. I paid off all my debt outside, all of my uh, debt outside of my home. So that was a goal I had. Um, I, I completed that goal um, back in uh, March of this year. So that was, a, that was a priority at the time. And what that did just freed up my income a lot more. So now I can invest more, it's easier to save, that type of thing. Um, and that's why I, I like the idea of paying off the mortgage because I just got through a bunch of debt. So, um, kind of take that snowball effect, what it was, yeah. put it to the next thing, knock it out. Uh -huh. Right. And then it's like, you know, it gets real simple after that. It's, if you got the mortgage out of the way. But, yeah. but yeah, those are the three pillars. I would say those are the three pillars um, of, of, of what I want. Excellent. Excellent. Well, 
uh travis i i appreciate your time we do have a, a comment in the chat to, to to encourage you to start the uh 529 plan asap i mean oh, i already did oh, oh yeah. i was gonna say because i'm so, like how you gonna be brandon friend he already telling nah, everybody i like, started hey, the you file give me to my child's 529 plan as a friend i, I know started, you gotta have yours set up yeah i started the 529 plan for my nephew when he was born so I think I was 23, 22. I can't remember. It was when I first got that job. And I set up because everyone was buying him. It was, a, it was a first grandchild family, right? So, you know, I was a big show day. It's a big party. And everyone was buying all these toys and clothes. And, you know, I don't like shopping, you know. You know, um, I, got, I, got, I got three sisters. I got a bunch of, um, a lot of cousins of women. I hate going to the mall. So they ruined the mall experience for me. <laughs> so I hated the idea of going to a mall, find something for a baby. But then um, because of Susie Orman, I, I, I heard about 529s. I'm like, eh, I'll set up a 529 for my nephew. So he's a senior and oh, he's a junior in high school right now. So he'll get it soon. And how, how has those returns been? Actually, they were terrible because I gave you them didn't to- the aggressive, you didn't hit choose Yeah, the so I didn't, again, going back to, um, like again, I didn't know much about it back then, but if I was able to, con con I put it in, I think it was Maryland's 529 program and they, they weren't really aggressive with it. But I didn't know what that really meant. I didn't, back back then, now 30, you know, Travis now would have got a hold of it. Yeah, it would have been a different ball game. So the returns were not that great when I compare them to what I have access to now. And I, I'm so glad, you know, again, you thank you for being vulnerable enough to share that part, because that's another part of why we have guests on and, and hope they're mm -hmm. willing to share those lessons learned, because people really don't realize that you have to continue to go the extra mile for yourself. Absolutely. You yeah. could set up a retirement account. You could set up a 529 plan. You can you can get any account insurance, whatever you want. But if you are not making the next decision, what is this going to be invested in? Mm -hmm. And you're not understanding those options. You did the equivalent of saving for 15 or 20 years thinking you yeah. were investing. Thinking you were investing. Yep. So with that, I'm going to say join Better Investing. It's a <laughs> national nonprofit. Uh, focus on investment education for individuals and investment clubs. Try out our 90 day free trial. Um, and you'll, I mean, it, it, it's just like Travis White and his better, better investment analysis group. You'll be integrated within a community of people that live and breathe this stuff while living their normal lives. We are not financial planners, stockbrokers, traders, any of that. We are regular people who took serious Brandon's dad's advice of your second job is your second money. Second job is money, yep. And, and I mean, we're, we're the, the probably the most self-educated, um, um, financially literate, and successful investors that you'll ever meet. So again, um, shout out to, to Better Investing and thanks so much um, to all of the volunteers um, who continue to, and the leadership, let me add, who continue to make this a, a great organization. Um, and if anybody wants to get the Plus membership, remember it's less than your Amazon Prime. So I like that. 
I'm telling you, man. Hey, try it out. You, you, I mean, between the magazine, between the first cuts, between the Better Investing Weekly, I think you're going to be able to level up in your investment club once you become a, better, a, a member of Better Investing. So try it out. Try it out. So with that being said, Travis, you have any uh, words of wisdom to those who have not yet gotten started um, or even to your 20-year-old self, you choose. Ooh, my 20-year-old self? Whew. I would say to my 20-year-old self, 20, wow. Um, I would have, uh, yeah. 20-year-old me, I would have said, I would have, I would have definitely said, um, just put your money up. Put your money up, put as much money in the market as you blow on airline tickets and hanging out of the club and dates and all of that, like all of that stuff. Maybe not to, definitely hanging out at the club and dates, throwing it in the market is a way better investment, hands down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say that. I would, I would definitely say that. I would say that. I would say take your money, split it in half, throw it in the market. And, I, and the thing is, I'm not even going to tell you to do research because by, by you naturally putting your money up, it's going to, it's, you're going to have some emotions tied to it and that's going to drive you to learn more and be more diligent. So, you know, you're not just going to throw your money into a pit. So that's what I would have said to the 20 year old Travis. Well, I went that route because I got my, um, I got my nephew and my niece coming up in age. They're, they're juniors and sophomores in high school. So I want them to hear that. Shout out to them. Shout out to Mrs. White with the four kids, probably putting them in the bed right now. Um, yeah, man, it's, it, it was such a pleasure and an honor of having you on, Travis. Um, yeah, man, thanks, thanks for your time. And, and again, Thank shout you. out to, to Better Investing, uh, as Dan Harder says, uh, it is still the best kept secret. So check us out at betterinvesting.org. Travis, thank you for your time. Listeners, thank you for your time. Uh, check us out again. We're here uh, every Wednesday live at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time or uh, catch the recordings on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. So uh, with that, have a very good night and um, we'll be in touch, Travis. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> All right. See you.